This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management uh, with Art Wiederman CPA. I am your host. I'm Art Wiederman. I am a dental division director for the CPA firm of Ide Bailey in Tustin, California. I've been a dental-specific CPA for 37 years, and we are, I, I was looking at this the other day, we are getting close to three years uh, we're over, I think, 130 or 135 uh, podcasts that we've done. Uh, very proud of the work that we've done. Got a lot of good uh, good feedback from the dentists of America uh, on it. And we're going to keep doing it, including today. So uh, since this is the art of dental finance and management, we're going to do some of the finance part today. And uh, I'm bringing back my good friend, Jim Davenport. Uh, Jim is uh, with Beacon Point uh, Advisors. He's a managing director and partner there in the office in Newport Beach, California. And uh, we're now in solid right at the end of the third quarter where this podcast will air uh, on, the, I believe, the September 29th. So right at the end of the third quarter, we got lots of stuff going on, folks. We got hurricanes. We got global warming. We've got a three and a half trillion dollar budget proposal on the table with lots of tax increases. Um, we got all kinds of stuff going on and we're going to talk about the markets. Where are they? Where have they gone this year? Where does Jim think they're going to go? Um, how is inflation going to affect everything? How are taxes going to affect everything? How is the fact that the University of Southern California fired their football coach, Clay Helton, yesterday going to affect everything? Don't know. We'll have to see how that works. But anyway, uh, we'll get to Jim in a moment. I uh, want to share with you again about our wonderful partners, uh, which are Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, which is uh, go to www.decisionsindentistry.com. Uh, you can get over 140 amazing continuing education courses at a very, very reasonable price. Uh, if you're looking for a consultation from the Academy of Dental CPAs or from uh, us at Ide Bailey, uh, you can go ahead and go onto their website, www.decisionsanddentistry.com and click on, the, uh, click on the box and it will get me an email and we will get in touch with you. Uh, also, again, my mothership, the Academy of Dental CPAs, the ADCPA, 24 CPA firms, uh, that represent over 10,000 dentists across the United States. We are the financial first responders. Again, Ide Bailey represents about 1,000 of those dentists. Uh, and um, so we're here to help you with uh, PPP, ERTC, HHS, you know, the whole gamut of uh, alphabet soup. So I want to touch on a couple things here today. Um, number one, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services uh, put out their Provider Relief Fund. It was part of the CARES Act back in March of last year. It was a $175 billion um, a, a part of the CARES Act, and it was intended to provide funds to healthcare providers who were fighting COVID-19. And uh, we did a we did a a podcast um, with uh, two of our partners from Ide Bailey about that uh, about a month ago. 
and uh, it was really great information. So uh, most of you received a 2% payment in August of 2020. Uh, that was kind of the government really didn't know how to compensate dentists under this program. So that's what they did. And then they brought out phase three, which was intended to uh, bring your revenues back to approximately 88% of what they were before the pandemic. And many of you got six figures of dollars from this program. Well, guess what, folks? You don't get to just keep the money and do with it what you want. You got to tell the government what you did with it, which is the reporting part of it. Let me remind you again that if you got money between um, uh, July 1 and December 31 of 2020, you will have to report on the HHS's portal uh, beginning on January 1 and ending March 31. If you got more than $10,000, you have to report. If you got more than $10,000 between April 10, when they opened the program, and June 30th, you had to report by September 30th, which as you, if you listen to this podcast, the day it comes out, it'll be right then. However, what uh, the HHS has done is they have given you kind of a little bit of a mulligan here. And I will read some of the things uh, that, that I have uh, found. It says, uh, in light of the challenges providers across the country are facing due to recent, recent national dis natural disasters and the Delta variant, HHS is announcing today a final 60-day grace period to help providers come into compliance with their PRF reporting requirements if they fail to meet the deadline on September 30, 2021. There's lots of rules about that. Most of you will probably not have to deal with that. However, if you do, uh, we have a portal that you can ask us questions on. And that portal is PRF at IDBailey, E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. So uh, in addition, they are opening phase four as of September the 29th. So there's going to be about $25 billion of which $17 billion is going to be for healthcare providers to uh, compensate them for lost revenues uh, that they had in the latter part of 2020 and the first part of 2021. So again, this is something you want to look into because folks, once the $17 billion is gone, it's gone. It was just like the PPP money. So again, any questions about the HHS Provider Relief Fund? Uh, we have the answers at Ide Bailey, uh, PRF at Idebailey, E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. If you have filed for forgiveness for your first round of PPP loans and you had a greater than 50% reduction in your gross receipts, it is not too late to take advantage of the um, employee retention tax credit. If you had a greater than 50% reduction in your revenues in any quarter in 2020, then um, uh, you could be eligible for tens of thousands of dollars uh, I have orchestrated through our uh, our firm uh, just over $3 million in credits for uh, about 70 dental practices, because remember, not everybody qualified for this, and uh, it's not too late. I had a doctor, one of our long-term clients said, oh, just got around to it now. Can we still do, still do this? And I said, absolutely do this. We can. So uh, send me an email at awiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at idbailey.com, or you can call me, 657-279-3243, and we'll help you with that. Finally, folks, I want you to start watching the news. I know it's something that you don't want to do. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's depressing at times with all the stuff that's going on. But um, they are starting to have conversations uh, about uh, taxes. And uh, budget. So they have the Democrats have put out a three and a half billion. I'm sorry, that's nothing. Three and a half billion is nothing. It's chump change. It's 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 pocket money. Three and a half trillion dollar budget package for the next fiscal year. And they have the Democrats have put out a uh, their proposal, their initial proposal, as to how they're going to pay for it. And guess who gets to pay for this, folks? You and me. Uh, and people that probably make a lot more money than you and me because they are looking at raises in the capital gains rate. They're looking at raises at the um, the initial, uh, the maximum tax rate from 37 to 39.6%. Uh, 
Um, I don't want to every single time I do a podcast talk about this because what happens is, is what I tell you today is going to change tomorrow and the next day. But just start watching the news, especially if you're thinking about a significant capital gains transaction. Watch what the government is talking about. There are going to be tax law changes. There's no doubt about that. Be sure to check out our new Ide Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. So that's where we're at with the announcements. And so let's find out how to make some money. Okay. So, Mr. Davenport, uh, we're going to make some money today. Well, we're going to try. Well, we're going to try. So let me introduce again my good friend, uh, Jim Davenport. Again, uh, Jim is managing director and partner at Beacon Point Advisors. He's been in the business for uh, what you tell me, a dozen years, I think. A dozen years. Dad, dad was in the business for over 50 years. Um, and uh, I've had Jim on several times uh, on the program to talk about investing. Um, I had mentioned um, uh, that you know there's all kinds of things going on. So let's let's jump uh, right into this right now as far as uh, the the investing world. Let's start with the thing that I think is is important for everybody, which is inflation. Now I've I've read. Uh, you know, we may be done with the growth rebound. Obviously, the economy was shut down for the better part of a year. A lot of it has opened up. We have a Delta variant. Some places are shutting back down a little bit, but not really. Uh, I was in a football stadium uh, a couple weeks ago uh, to watch a football game with 80,000 of my closest friends. And in Los Angeles, you have to wear a mask and uh, most people wore them in, but most people took them off. So, you know, we're, we're back to where we are, but you know, we see prices here. I, I always laugh, Jim, when they talk about gas prices, the average gas prices is $3 and 33 cents a gallon. And I go, what planet would that be on? Because here in California, it's pushing five bucks a gallon. So, um, inflation, talk to me about how the markets are going to uh, react to inflation and, and are we having inflation? Yeah, uh, topic number one everybody's talking about. But before I get started, I want to thank you, Art, for inviting me back on your show. This is my okay. third time, and uh, I've had a great time both uh, both times before, so I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, inflation. Uh, you know, we got some actually some some uh, some good news today. Uh, was announced the that inflation was slightly tamer than than we thought it was, and uh, the market. Uh, rewarded it by going up 100 points, and then before the uh, before the close, we gave up about 300. So, yeah. <laughs> um, although it was good news on inflation, yeah. Um, so inflation is happening. We know that. Uh, the question is uh, how how temporary is it, uh, or how permanent is it? And you know, I, I do believe this is the this is the topic everyone's talking about on your last show. I predicted the debt after the election. You know, the Trump Biden election. I thought it was going to be debt. Right now, it's inflation for good reasons. We saw lumber and copper go through the moon and then come back to earth. But you, everybody is feeling it at the grocery stores. They're feeling it uh, in their everyday life as things. For example, I went in to maybe possibly look at a car uh, not too long ago. I went in there. The guy was going to show me the numbers of this of this car. And, and before he even put the paper down, I noticed the number was a lot higher than what he had advertised me to get there for. And I said, wait, 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 you might have the wrong car. And he said, no, we have, we're going X amount of dollars over the sticker price. So you start out with whatever the price of the car is, and then they add five grand or they add 15,000 or they add, you know, in certain places on certain cars, they add a very large number. And so immediately I sit there and go, here's a depreciating asset the minute I sign the paperwork and I drive off the lot. And yet they want me to pay over sticker for a depreciating asset. So where are we today? Um, it's the boogeyman. I call inflation the boogeyman. It, it's it's a thing we're most uh, worried about that could actually cause, you know, as uh, clients call and worry about what a, a crash in the markets. I think inflation would be maybe that small prick in that balloon uh, that could cause it. But I, uh, you know, I you're going to have to define what crash means to you because if it means a ten or fifteen percent pullback, I call that a bull market because we average one of those uh, per you know. Per year in a bull market, 
Hey, hey Jim, let, let's stop right there because that's a great point. Um, I I did an interview. I might have mentioned this on the podcast before. Uh, when I had my radio show in Los Angeles on KRLA, I had did, done an interview with a with a gentleman who wrote a book called Dow Thirty Six Thousand. And at the time, I think the Dow was at eighteen or nineteen, and we're right pushing up against thirty six thousand on the Dow. Yeah. And uh, you know, but but I want to talk about that because people need to understand that it's not bad if after a big run up, if the market pulls up, pulls back ten or fifteen percent. Talk about that. And what if it doesn't happen? Well, that's currently where we are is it hasn't happened in seven months. There hasn't been a 5% pullback in seven months, which is where a little bit of the hair on the back of my neck sticks up because of the point that you're asking, which is pullbacks are very healthy. You know, like a pendulum, it swings further than true value, both on, on, on growth side and when markets are coming down. And so I do you know, I try to tell clients a little bit of pullback is very healthy. Anything going parabolic scares me, whether it was Bitcoin or Tesla stock last year or whatever it may be. And we're at seven months now, the S&P climbing. Uh, it'd be nice to get a little pullback, a little bra- uh, breath before we eventually climb higher. Uh, it needs it. It averages it. Looking back 199 years, of the S&P 500, that uh, 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 a bull year. If I were to tell you next year the market's going to finish higher, I would I would tell you with quite certainty that there would be one 10% pullback and multiple 5% pullbacks in that 12-month period. And we just are not seeing that at this very moment. I'm going to jump jump ahead a little bit about, about some of these markets. Like, you know, let's look at the US stock market. The Dow, not counting today, year-to-date is up 13.93%. The NASDAQ is up 172 the S&P, and folks, if you don't know, NASDAQ are the tech stocks. The Dow are the uh, large cap 30 stocks that um, the New York Stock Exchange puts into this index. So whenever you watch the news, uh, the markets, uh, they say the market's up on the nightly news. Well, they say the Dow. That's what they look at. Uh, that's 30 stocks out of what, 10,000 stocks on the markets out there, Jim? Yeah, and it's and it, the 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 old name it was thirty industrial stocks. Yeah. It's called the industrial average, is the name. Um, so it doesn't represent really the 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 overall stock market. The S and P five hundred would probably be the best indicator and, when it comes to how the stock market is doing. And the S and P is up eighteen point nine seven percent this year. Um, but even the European markets are up. I mean, so we'll talk about that in a second. But let, let's start. Talking about the U.S. market, um, I don't know what the multiples are of earnings, but company earnings are generally looking pretty good these days, aren't they? They are. Uh, earnings continued uh, to be positive, um, and and interest rates. And you and I should have a, a a little talk about interest rates in a second. But we will. As long as interest rates are down here, the ten years at one point three, folks are borrowing money at below two percent for their homes. Uh, on margin uh, rates for their uh, portfolios. It's very inexpensive if you have the credit to borrow money. And if that's the case, you're going to continue, the stock market's going to contain itself. It's when interest rates go higher uh, that I think you're going to start to see some some, uh, negative uh, outcomes in the stock market. Yeah. And, but, but let's think about interest rates. How can interest rates go higher? If if the I was doing this math, if we are right now at about thirty trillion in debt, is that give or take yes. where we are? Twenty nine okay. and plot twenty nine yeah. change. Let's call it thirty because the numbers are easier that way. Deal for every one percent that interest rates go up, that the United States has government has to pay interest on its debt. That's three hundred billion dollars for every one percent. So the Fed's got to do what it can to keep rates down because you know we're already into deficit spending. Add another three hundred billion or six hundred billion dollars. So what is the Fed? What is the Fed thinking about? I know we've been talking about maybe holding tight um, for another year or even two years. So let's get into interest rates a little bit. What what are you thinking on interest rates and where? they might be going and what the Fed is thinking and how they affect everything. Yeah. So Fed Chair Jerome Powell just signaled no rush to tighten monetary policy. So we can, we're going to continue to see lower rates. Uh, you know, we 
the more money that we're printing out. So let's talk about that debt. I just read today that 40% of all of the United States money has been created, made, bought, distributed 40% in the last nine months, Art. In the last nine months, 40% of all the money made in the United States has taken place in the last nine months. So we're just growing this deficit in such a great level, right? And my question is, if we're not raising interest rates now, if the economy is is good, the stock market's on this huge bull run, housing prices, everybody's home is higher, everybody is their their checking accounts are higher. If all these things are happening, but yet interest rates aren't going higher for reasons that you just talked about, three hundred billion and and payments on a one percent growth, what makes you think? as we continue to print money, what makes you think we're going to be able to raise interest rates then? So no, not it'll now. It'll be worse. We, we, exactly. What, uh, when then? So I would tell you that uh, the reason, a big reason for the lack of, uh, say, a, a panic or a, a freak out of the stock market just collapsing is we believe money is going to remain cheap for a while. And to your point, rising interest rates might be 25 basis points, 50 basis points. We're not going to 1%. And the 10-year at you know three and a half is still incredibly inexpensive, and people are going to continue borrowing at that at that at that rate. So if our prediction is interest rates are staying low, then then stocks are we're still very bullish or overweighted in in equities in comparison to say in to say bonds. And and oh yeah, and then and then look at the housing market. My my gosh, I mean, I was talking to one of my friends who's a realtor. And she was telling me that she took a listing in the Los Angeles metropolitan area and they got 38, 38 full price offers. And the price got bid up. I think she said 30%. I think I read that the average price on a home, um, at least here in Southern California, is being bid up by 22% from the original asking price. So, um, and building, you know, I mean, how is the, how is the housing market affecting all of this? Yeah. So, I mean, you're getting, you're, you're stealing some of my thunder of where we're going with our portfolios. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a real asset. And as you're printing kind of funny money and you're putting it out there, what, what sustains its, its value and things like real assets, including real estate in good communities that folks want to live in during uh, during what might be your office as well. Uh, these housing, th- this housing uh, issue and cost, especially in California, which the average home is, I think, during this recall debate, I think I heard of eight hundred thousand dollars or something incredible. Uh, that's why I believe that's why if we're making all of this money, what it, what's what's growing because of it, and real assets and real estate, especially in these kind of suburbs. Are going to, I think, grow at a at a greater rate than the S and P five hundred over the next five to ten years. Yeah, and then you have to look at is a, is commercial real estate a good thing to invest in? I know that's not your area of expertise, but you know we, we've got lots of people staying home like me. I have uh, pretty much abdicated my office. I still work, I but it's um, I'm sitting here in my home. I save myself an hour and a half a day, and it's it, it's kind of nice wear and tear on the cars. Kind of nice, yeah. Um, but, um, so let, let's go back to some of these Mars. We talked about the U S market and the large companies are doing well. What about the global, um, the global markets? I mean, I know we've got, you know, we, we have, uh, China, the Shanghai markets are up, uh, almost 12% for the year. The Nikkei, the Nikkei, I think if I read it right, is up like 30% this year, even though Japan is having major problems um, with the pandemic and uh, infections and things like that, they just got through the Olympics. Um, so, what 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 are you seeing in the global markets? Yeah, well, uh, b- before we touch the global, last thing I want to go back sure, on is the, sure. the commercial real estate. I no, I'm not an expert, and there's a lot out there. But I will tell you this: we have the benefit, Art, and you're aware of some of our our clients, and uh, there a, a lot of business owners, um, a lot of CEOs that. Uh, will express to us what they're seeing in the marketplace. And one that surprised me over the last two months during um, some of my some of my meetings with clients is they are actually some of their uh, businesses are looking for brick and mortar. They're actually going back. They're talking about how margins online have shrunk, how uh, Amazon and some of these other competitors have taken some of that away, and clients are tired of of not trying things on or not tasting something or what have you, the returns are getting very expensive 
Uh, and so brick and mortar is really, uh, I feel, has a little bit of a wave. Now, how do you capitalize on that? We can talk about that. One of the sectors I really like, and I know you want to talk about certain sectors of the market, but the home builders uh, is one of those. And and commercial uh, real estate, I believe, at the moment is having a little bit of a bull run underneath uh, some of the waves and some of the ideas of the big idea of the big pan- uh, pandemic. And so I thought that was very, very interesting. And some of your listeners might uh, might understand or, or, or see the same things. It shocked me that some of these companies are looking um, for some commercial space uh, it, as, as we speak, uh, a lot more popular than it was maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago. They can probably okay. get it cheaper too. That's right. No, good so, deals. Trust yeah, me, so, I know. My lease so let me take up. a second. And folks, if, if you want, have any questions, uh, you know, it's great because when I talk to my doctors and my clients, um, you know, we, we have kind of uh, three different camps. One of the camps are, well, I don't really understand investing and I just never had the chance to learn about it, which is something you should always do, is read and talk to professionals. The other is, well, I read a little bit and I have my opinions. Then I have my group that's just so into it. And I love talking to them about it because they talk about what's inflation going to do and what are interest rates going to do and what are taxes going to do, which we're going to talk about. Well, if you want to talk investing with Jim, Jim, um, I would assume you would feel comfortable having a conversation with one of my dentists anywhere in the country because we're all over the place. Um, yeah, we're a financial we, resource, Art. It's, yeah, it's, so it's, why don't you give out your name and your uh, contact information? Yeah, so it's Jim Davenport. Oh, my well, we email address, yeah. email is jdavenport at beaconpoint.com. And point has an E on it. So it's B-E-A-C-O-N-P-O-I-N-T-E.com. My phone number is 949-720-9980. And just feel free to give us a call if you just want to talk about anything financial, want some advice. Uh, If we don't have an answer, we've got a great network of folks that can help us uh, be very resourceful and and get that answer for you. I mean, Beacon Point uh, manages, I think, what, 15 billion, something like that? Yeah, we're just under 20 billion. Yeah, 20 billion. billion under management. Yeah, we're... uh, Markets are growing. We've added a few offices around the country, kind of in the south. We've got a South Carolina and a and a New Orleans new office. We've got a Denver and a Seattle office coming soon. So it's well, uh, it's Beacon Point is growing quite quite nice. rapidly. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's spend a good part of the rest of our time. I want to talk about the sectors. I want to talk about taxes and all that stuff. But yeah, uh, you you said you have some sectors that you like. Um, I mean, we got we got chip problems. I read. That unless I read it wrong, that General Motors is pretty much shutting down production of automobiles in the United States here shortly, and they they can't get chips. And you've got hiring and retention problems. We drove by a McDonald's the other day, my wife and I, and they were advertising fifteen to seventeen dollars per hour for someone. Now, this is no disrespect to anybody that works at McDonald's or any other fast food restaurant, but it's just. You never thought you would see that. So with, with all this stuff going on, I mean, some sectors, like if you bought stock in Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic, oh my goodness, you would have done well. But what 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 do you like? What do you see? What are you guys investing in? Um, uh, talk about the, the different sectors that you like and what they're doing. Yeah, so let's go. Let's go. Uh, it's a great question. Let's go big picture and uh, start with asset uh, classes and then we can start... D- from asset classes, we'll go into sectors. So Super. one, you know, we didn't we didn't get to answering your your international question, but we oh, we're actually okay. bull, we're bullish in the international as as a as an asset class. Uh, we like uh, the developed growth side of it. We also like emerging. So growth assets are something we like. Real assets, growth assets, real assets, things that we very much are bullish on, or what we call most preferred. So looking at um, internationals we like a lot we feel they're undervalued we think they're following the US you you talked about the numbers you know the S&P 500 up close to 19 while the IFA is somewhere you know closer to 13 range so the, you're talking two thirds of what we've got here i would say there's some opportunities in the in the emerging space um as well as uh sectors like we like uh dividends so we like large cap value dividend paying stocks we like small cap stocks uh, we we are not right now focused more on kind of the uh, core elements of it. We don't like uh, U.S. core bonds. We're not into some of the global developed bonds. We like things with short term. So on the fixed income side, 
things like uh, the Treasury uh, inflation protected, so tips. Um, if, if we feel like the interest rates are going to creep higher, we don't want to be owning a lot of long-term stuff. Um, but I, I will tell you where we're most bullish, and we were talking about this earlier, uh, is the real assets and private assets. So things like private credit, private real estate, uh, commodities. These are types of assets that as, as we just continue to get above that $30 trillion, we believe that these types of investments are going to grow at a 6 to 7% clip where maybe the stock market would be somewhere in the four, four and a half percent. Explain why that's the case. Well, it, it, for a lot of reasons. One, uh, one being, well, I talk about private. Uh, the, it, a lot of people believe, even as they get towards retirement, I know one of your questions are going to be when you're getting close to retirement, what types of things should you be allocating the money to? And because we're actually pretty bearish on fixed income at the moment, you want to be starting to look at some private uh, placements, some private thought, uh, equity some private real estate, things that might tie up your money for a little bit of time, but over time are generating much greater returns while you wait. I think a, a mistake people make is they think they need the a little more liquidity than they actually need. Because if you don't plan on spending some of this money for the next three to five years, then what's the problem with it being in a vehicle in which can grow faster because the investor knows that that money is a lot more secure and is a lot more stable? And so we've put together a private credit fund that has been doing fabulous. We've got some real estate assets that we that we really like. And we're starting to dabble in some of these private equity deals where we can get access to some of these companies that we typically wouldn't, where the public mark uh, public markets seem to be slightly a little more overvalued. So those those are the asset classes. But if you want to go sectors, I'm going to get personal here. This isn't a beacon point thought, but this is kind of my own. And the first I would tell you is I. I recently uh, spent a lot of time over the last week. My my father was in the Air Force. My brother Donnie currently serves uh, in the in the Air Force as a Lieutenant Colonel uh, F sixteen pilot. And you know, not reflecting on nine eleven, I think uh, here we are, September fourteenth. It was only three days ago uh, that we that we we talked about uh, a twenty year anniversary of something incredibly devastating, and it was something that it caught us so off guard because it was something that we just couldn't imagine. We couldn't expect two airplanes going into two large towers and those two towers uh, collapsing. It was just kind of unfathomable. And, and, and where we are now is kind of going, okay, here we are, we've, we've rebounded from 01 in that tech bubble. We've rebounded nicely in 08 from the, real, uh, the, the financial crisis. Here we are, it took 354 days from March 23rd of last year of COVID for the market to double. It was up. 100% since the pandemic uh, in the, in the uh, S&P 500. And so here we are now, as this thing is up there, what's going to pull it back down? And as they interviewed some folks, some, some really bright financial folks, all of them had the same theme in their answer. And it wasn't airplanes hitting us. It wasn't bombs going off. What it was, was it was all digital and cyber, all of it. All of yeah. it was taking down some digital, taking down the electric grid, taking down the water supply, taking down financial institutions and banks. And so I would tell you, we're going to look back at times like now and the next big hit, I would believe, would be on the cyber side. So owning things like CrowdStrike, Zscaler, Palo Alto Networks, Sentinel One is a, is a, a new one that just direct listed, or the ETF hack. H-A-C-K, which I think is a clever uh, ETF name. For. <laughs> I'm just saying these are types of sectors that right now I look back and I go, how is this, how is this not doubled or tripled uh, over the next five to 10 years? So that's a sector I really like. One that I've talked about on your show, and then I'll, and then I'll kick it back to you. I've talked on your show many times that I'm known for. You know, I've, I've been a big supporter of PayPal, the company PayPal, and what they do and turning into fintech and and, uh, you know, I, they purchased Venmo years ago. And my wife and I, man, we live on that thing when we pay friends and we pay babysitters and those types of things. But um, Venmo is quick into using cryptocurrencies. Uh, Venmo is right there with, you know, some of these. Uh, the topic of the day, you know, in investing over the last two weeks is is buy now, pay later. You've seen uh, some big companies go and acquire some. You've seen Affirm Holdings. So companies like Affirm Companies like Square, companies like PayPal, these fintech companies with that have the ability to, to adjust to whatever kind of the hotter topic is, 
those are some companies and a sector that I really, really like as well. Um, and then finally, I'm old fashioned, but we are never going to be able to build the housing that we need for, for the population and the people. There's always going to be this housing crunch and crisis. And I think a company like DR Horton um, and some others are our managers really like going forward. Um, I think the home builders are going to catch up here uh, over time. They've just been lagging based on folks in fear of, of inflation and fear of, of interest rates going higher. And, uh, and I don't see it. So uh, that's, that's another sector I like. And, and you talked earlier about cybersecurity, and we actually uh, did a webinar through Ide Bailey. You can find it on our YouTube page. And doctors, if you have not, and I repeat, this, this is, I totally agree with Jim. I mean, these people who are hackers and who are computer specialists, they are much smarter than most of us. So if you have not looked at your cybersecurity setup, I mean, and again, you can take this as an advertisement for us or not, but we have a whole cybersecurity group at Ide Bailey. We did a, um, we, we do a, a set of uh, monthly webinars on the business of dentistry for six local dental societies here in Southern California. And one of them we did, I think it was three or four months ago, was on cybersecurity. And it was just fascinating uh, listening to it. And yes, I think companies, uh, after you see what happened where they almost took down that, that, what was it, the meat processing company and all that stuff several months ago, uh, you know, CEOs and CFOs are really smart and they know that they don't, they know that they don't know when they're going to get hit. And I think you're right. I don't think it's going to be, and, and God willing, I hope it never happens again. Cause um, I watched 60 minutes the other, I don't know if you watched 60 minutes on uh, Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't watch it folks, um, and, and, uh, you know, obviously we just celebrated the celebrated. We, we remembered, uh, the nine 11 terrorist attacks. I grew up in New York city. Uh, it was very near and dear, knew some people who lost their lives in the, in the trade center. And, um, I mean, it, it, it they did a story for one hour on the New York fire, the, um, FDNY, the New York fire department, they lost, I think 353, um, men and women in, in the, in the towers. It, it is a fascinating watch. Um, but anyway, I, I think that's what you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see, uh, physical. I think you're going to see cyber and I think they've got lots of smart people, uh, doing that. Now, what, what do you think about some of the, 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 some of the tried and trues like, uh, automotive and, and maybe high tech, maybe what do you think about those going forward? So, you know, automotive, uh, when I think of cars, uh, other than the guy giving me a big number above sticker and me walking out the door, um, you know, you talked about the chip shortage, everything takes a chip, uh, Weber and Traeger, uh, for you guys out there that love to barbecue and ladies, you guys know those. They went public, and now it's to the point where a Weber grill can grill your steak basically for you and let you know the temperature and let you know when your steak is done, depending on how cooked you want it. And that's all run by semiconductor chips. And these semis have a couple a couple battles ahead of them. Number one is there's a shortage, and that has to do with a labor shortage. So you don't have enough people in there getting these chips out on time. Number two, you've got the... Uh, You've got Taiwan Semi and some of these com companies nervous about what's going on in China and what the China government is going to do. And they know that they have that power because of the percentage of semi-chips that are coming out of it. And so that is a concern. But I will say this, and this is where I am with automotives. I believe that the problem will eventually get fixed. We're going to hire enough people to do it. Uh, China knows how much uh, revenue it generates from these semis. Um, and eventually, the Fords and the GMs, as you mentioned, uh, are going to get their chips. And when they do, if the demand is there, I'm pretty bullish on those kinds of companies. So I want to look who is being hurt by this chip shortage. I'm in the camp that the chip shortage is temporary and will eventually go away. And when it does, I think you can take advantage a little bit of some of those companies that are being negatively affected by the chip shortage. And Ford comes to mind first. Uh, just a disclaimer, the, the dealership I was in was not a Ford dealership, so I'm not a Ford uh, 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 spokesman. But the stock itself, I would say the biggest bullish case for that is there is high demand for these trucks, high demand for the new Broncos, high demand for all of these types of cars, because I think people are going to fly less. You're in your own car, less, of, less uh, part of the pandemic. 
which leads me, Art, and uh, uh, there's to my to what I think is the quintessential post COVID stocks. And so I always, you know, have this conversation where if your portfolio looks exactly the same as it looked before the pandemic, there's something wrong there. I think there needs to be looking at are the managers inside of your portfolio, are the stock selection changing from before the pandemic to after? Because we've just went through something very serious, something in which we probably before today never thought we'd all be locked down and working from home and wearing masks and social distancing and all those types of things. And so my question now is, what are some stocks looking forward that we want to be interested in paying attention to? And right now, you know, I've talked about, it's kind of a conglomerate of all of them, right? So I like real assets. I like real estate. I like fintech. I like, well, Airbnb. So Airbnb is, I think, uh, really the all-star stock if you look in the post-COVID. Now, of course, doesn't mean it's going to happen. I just believe that out of anywhere, you think about COVID, uh, you have turnover in a hotel room every day. You don't have that turnover in an Airbnb. People rent them out for weeks and months, and then they've got to go and a professional cleaning service. And so you know the quality of that. You've got uh, folks being able to rent some of their real estate out, making more money. It's very high tech. If you've ever been on their their website, it's got a lot of that. So the, the, the recovery story, the coming out story, and the real estate story, because uh, Airbnb was talking about owning some of these homes uh, that they're going to be using for Airbnb. I think there's a lot of catalysts for a company uh, like Airbnb to do well. And, and again, uh, full disclaimer, I own a little bit of Airbnb uh, due to uh, the story that I'm telling you now. But um, uh, I would say that's that's a, a group that I'm, I'm looking at as we get out of the pandemic. Does your portfolio look the exact same as it does going in? And if that is the case, then you should probably start having conversations about making some changes and what changes uh, your advisor is thinking. Or if you're managing your own at home, you need to start thinking about where where we're going, not where we've been. Now, I, I know, let's talk about this. And I do want to talk about taxes before we call it a, a podcast. But I, I know there's different ways that people can work with investment advisors. There's investment advisors who are, we'll call them stock pickers. They will basically, you hire them and they will put you in 10, 20, 30 individual stocks that they think they follow, they chart, they do all that stuff. You've got people who will invest in uh, individual mutual funds. They, they're they going to go ahead and buy mutual funds. And then there's Companies, as I understand it, like what you guys do, which is where you work with um, managers who work in specific areas of the investment world, like large cap uh, uh, investment advisors. So talk about those differences and how people should be thinking about, you know, what, I mean, obviously you probably think the way you, you invest money is, is good and I'm sure it is, but what people have choices of, and, and they don't know who to turn to. Yeah, great question. And there are choices. And and although I like uh, the version in which, or the style in which we manage money at Beacon Point, I will tell you, I came from the broker-dealer side. So fundamentally, there's there's broker-dealers, which are held to suitability, and there's independents or RIAs, which are held as a fiduciary. And so the first thing you need to understand is they're very different. Uh, one can sell products and one can make money on on trades and the others just manage uh, manage monies. So that's that's the first thing you need to think about. The second thing, um, I have no problem. You know, I grew up as you mentioned. My father was a stockbroker for fifty five years, and he bought individual stocks and charged for the trades. And based on how much money he was he made in the stock, he could charge a a commission on those stocks, and that's how he made a living. Um, and so uh, you mentioned Clay Helton getting fired uh, yesterday. You know, a lot of that trading helped help me, uh, assist me in paying for my education there. So hopefully that money spent wisely on a coach that uh, that can help us get a couple more W's. But anyway, um, so, <laughs> hopefully so that, you won't get first, some hate mail, but we'll see. Yeah, exactly. The first side, my partner Lane is a Bruin and my brother is a Bruin and you, I could go down the, the list. Uh, I love them all. Pack, go Pack 12. So anyway, um, you get back to... Um, what what type of of management that you want and 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 there's a lot of different styles and they're just uh, just index advisors that just manage just ETFs and it's all about low cost but you really take the the rides of the markets uh, and then there's active managers uh, 
which are just mutual funds, as you talked about. And then there's folks like us that really do a lot of pairing, right? We use some indexes. Uh, we use institutional class mutual funds at times. But if we have the option to use a separately managed account, we will. And what that means is we have uh, managers that are focused uh, on 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 buying individual stocks and individual bonds for our clients. And they've got a focus, right? They're experts in just municipal bonds or they're experts in just international growth stocks. Because like my father was, it's very difficult to be a jack of all trades anymore. Um, you've really got to have a focus. And so we we go in and negotiate um, internal expense ratio fees way down. I give props to our, our uh, chief investment officer and our CEO, Shannon Yusey. Uh, for negotiating those to such lower rates so that um, our clients get to keep um, a very large portion of their gain. Okay. Um, a lot of good information. A lot of, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're bullish on things for now. Uh, hopefully uh, the, the debt bubble won't pop us too soon, but uh, we've got a lot of play, a lot of, a lot of room to borrow, unfortunately. And I think they're just going to keep doing it. Um Let's get into to, um, budget and taxes, and uh, that'll be kind of our last topic for the day. So we have a $3.5 trillion budget deal that the Democrats, and again, folks, as you know, I do not play politics one way or the other. Uh, the Democrats are in control in the White House and the House and the Senate at the moment, and uh, they brought a $3.5 trillion uh, budget package uh, to to Congress, and they also brought uh, a spending uh, a, a a tax a tax bill or at least tax proposals that are coming forward that are going to raise uh, the capital gains tax, and they're going to uh, raise the maximum income tax rate, and they're going to. Uh, there's also proposals out there that are going to, um, uh, you know, limit how much money you can put away in a retirement plan potentially if your retirement plan is worth more than $10 million. And they're going to be hitting the estate tax hard. So they're they're going after the one percenters. They're going after the people who make the most money to pay for this. Part of that, in my opinion, Jim, is political because, I mean, you don't want to get uh, the vast majority of Americans who maybe have a uh, a median net income of forty six thousand dollars a year or fifty two thousand, whatever the the the, uh, the median income in this country is, if you raise their taxes to pay for everything, you're not going to get reelected. But the one percenters, uh, they're not going to keep you out of office. So, how do you think the tax increases that we believe are coming are going to affect the markets? Yeah, good question. I think there's a lot of a couple of things, and I'm going to point out three uh, things you need to be thinking about with taxes and and your businesses and your your stock accounts. Uh, the one 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 point to what you're talking about. I don't know if you saw uh, AOC. I don't I don't know how to pronounce AOC's dress. She wore a white dress that says "Tax the Rich" on the dress to this <laughs> three hundred thousand dollar banquet the other day. So to your point, it's kind of interesting uh, the the folks that support. Uh, they they say they want to tax. One thing that uh, is is quite funny is the, the fact that you know we talk about higher taxes on the wealthy, but it's it's an immediate right that the the tax if you if you if you increase taxes it it affects you immediately. Where if you just keep raising the budget and you keep sending out stimulus, you're 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 obviously causing a longer term problem, but you're not dealing with it at the very moment. Which goes to a comment I heard the other day, which was that uh, a gentleman I work with, Josh Rummins, he was talking about how he, he feels like America at the moment is addicted to crisis policies. Meaning, if we're always in a crisis, then we have excuses to print money. We have excuses to put money towards uh, people and countries and infrastructure and all of these things. And, and, and as we are in this pandemic, the longer it sticks around, the longer we're in a crisis, the longer we can keep this e this easing, right, this printing. But the minute that, say, the pandemic is behind us, let's say we're all great, all dandy, and the economy is strong, I mean, does that mean we're going to raise interest rates then? Are we going to start that process then? And we talked earlier about what that might do. If interest rates go up, what happens to the markets? What happens to our debt? And so right now, everything's hunky-dory while we're in this, like, crisis. So I thought addicted to crisis policies, it was interesting. Um, so let's talk about taxes. Let's talk about, we know they're going up. 
So taxes are going up. We know it's happening. Are they going to 34.9 or 38 or whatever the number was? It's not happening. Yeah, 39.6. That's not happening. I'd, I'd probably tell you, I believe pretty strongly that that's a, a large number so that they get back to something uh, closer in the range that they're looking for. So taxes are going up. So keep in mind, and start, you should be strategizing for that. When that takes place, I would, uh, my guess would be January 1, uh, but it could go at any time. I don't think they're going to do a look back. So if you're still thinking about uh, making some transactions, do it now. Two two other things I want to talk about. Number one is selling your business. So if you think that you own a business in which you might be selling in the next two, three, or four years, I really would advise you to start looking in the next two, three, four months, or at least look at some offers. Because although your business might grow over the next three or four years, the multiples it would have to grow to offset the increase in taxes on that sale is dramatic. So you... Unless you think you're going to just knock it out in the next two or three years and you're considering selling, you should be very serious about that at the moment. So if you can get that sold before the taxes rise, you're, you're looking at a, a much different number than after we, we, we have those taxes. And then thirdly, appreciated stocks. So you, let's say we wanted to move out of a position we've had for a long time. We want to decrease risk. Uh, we want to decrease some concentration. If you're thinking about selling maybe a third this year, a third in January, and a third the following January, so break it up over three tax years, which we typically would advise someone to do, I would I would readjust those percentages. I would be very heavy on selling this year and sell and and taking that long-term capital gain this year and a much smaller tranches in the years to follow, because I, like I said earlier, I think that long-term capital gains number is going to go back to the 28-29 level, which is a pretty huge hit when you're talking about um, the, some of the gains that are in our client portfolios. I mean, they're talking about, and again, we're, we're going to bring Mel Schwartz from our national tax office, who's uh, living and breathing every single day here at Ide Bailey. Uh, you know what's going on. Uh, talking to you know people in House and Ways Mean House Ways and Means Committee and Senate Finance Committee. I mean, they were originally Jim talking about uh, anybody who had income of over a million dollars that you know capital gains would be taxed at them at you know at thirty seven percent, which is the current maximum rate. Uh, now they're talking about the Democrats' proposals a little lower. I mean, I you know, capital gains taxes have not gone up in. Well, let's see. When did I do my first tax return? My first tax return I did in 1976 when I was 17 years old or 16 years old or something like that. And uh, the capital gains rates have always been 15%, 20%. If you're living in California and a lot of our California uh, doctors who listen to the podcast, um, you don't get a break on capital gains. You are paying up to the maximum rate. If your income's over a million dollars, it's 13.3%. And they're talking about 16.3, 18. I mean, it, it just starts getting stupid. So Jim is absolutely right. If, if you're looking at a sale of a business, uh, you've got to be watching what's going on in Washington on a daily basis. Uh, we are now at the end, you know, we're in the middle of September. It takes a while, but they can get this done. They could say, okay, we're going to raise the capital gains rates for any transaction that happens after um, November the 14th. So if your deal is going to close in December, that could not be good. So what I'm saying is, is you need to be watching this. And I mean, it is, it is, it, 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 it's classic. I mean, Jim, yeah. And again, it's, this is not a political discussion, No, but um, you know, when, when, uh, when the Republicans controlled the white house and uh, the, the, the two houses of Congress from 20, uh, 2017 and 2018, they passed the largest, uh, a large tax cut. And it, it, it all goes back to trickle down economics. You know, you cut tax rates, for everybody, and they'll have more money, and it will trickle down in the economy. That was a, a term I think Mr. Reagan uh, used. And then you have the folks, you know, the, the Democrats when they're in office, uh, they want to spend more money and they want to tax the wealthy Americans. And and folks, that's been going on for hundred years, hundred fifty years. That's not going to change. 
you know, if the Republicans are in charge, they're going to cut tax rates and they're going to cut taxes for the higher income people. When the Democrats are uh, in charge, they're going to raise taxes on wealthy people. That That's what they do. That's not, it doesn't matter whether the name uh, is, is, is Biden uh, or Clinton or Reagan or Bush. It doesn't matter. That That's what they do. So we'll have to see. So, Jim, um, any final thoughts about all the stuff we've talked about today? You got to a lot of really good stuff and a lot of good information on different sectors and uh, international versus, uh, you know, U.S. stocks. I mean, it, it looks like we could be in for a good 2022. Do you have a crystal ball? I mean, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen, but uh, does your crystal ball say we're going to have a good 2022 in the markets? Well, you know, Art, the, I, I want to leave people. We talk, you and I talk about a lot of things that can take the markets down. We talk about all the scary things out there. But I don't remember a time in my business, uh, in my life with my dad, where you couldn't stop and think of three or four or a hundred uh, major issues, things like inflation and interest rates and taxes that could really affect the market um, in a negative way. And I think the rebound that you saw from the pandemic. Um, I think we're still the greatest nation in the in the world. Uh, our dollar is still the the, the currency of the world. And uh, it, whether you're a, a you know like you said blue, red, or green, uh, we're still the best place. And and there's no better place that folks around the world want to put their money uh, other than in U.S. dollar and in U.S. companies. And so I'm still uh, bullish. Uh, I take long term outlooks always. I just told you earlier, I wouldn't mind a little 5% pullback because I think over time, uh, the markets will continue to climb. My dad always said, stock markets always climb a wall of worry. It's never easy money, it's difficult money. And so uh, although there's a lot of headlines and a lot of things going on around the world, uh, the market continues to, to inch higher and Americans are thriving. People are, uh, their, their checkbooks and their checking accounts have never been larger. Uh, and so we're we're in some interesting times, uh, and I would say over the over the coming years, I am still bullish because I think interest rates are going to stay low, and I think you're still going to have some good a access to to good assets. And we'll we'll uh, we'll be monitoring it uh, very closely. Uh, and and so, yeah, I just want to leave folks with uh, some positivity because uh, in the next ten years, the stock market will be higher than it is today. Well, and I, I would agree with you. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen day to day. And folks, if you're the type of person that just has to look at this day to day and you just have a, a heart palpitations, if you see a down day in the market, uh, that's what the markets do. But in the long run, in the long run, the stock market has returned an average of seven to nine percent over the last hundred years. I mean, that's what it's done. Maybe it's even more than that now. I don't know. Jim, why don't you give out your uh, information as far as how people can get a hold of you one more time? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Art. Uh, uh, email address, jdavenport, J-D-A-V-E-N-P-O-R-T, at beaconpoint.com. That's B-E-A-C-O-N-P-O-I-N-T-E, beaconpoint.com. And my phone number, 949-720-9980. Feel free to give me a call with any questions that you have, uh, any concerns, or or if you just want to talk markets, because I very passionate, live it. And if you can't tell, uh, uh, it's the first thing I look at when I wake up and it's the last thing I read before going to bed. Jim Davenport, um, who is a partner and managing director at Beacon Point Advisors. Thank you as always for your wise and sage counsel. Hang on with me before, uh, till after I take out the, um, finish out the podcast. Folks, again, if you want to get a hold of me, I'm at 657-279-3243. Uh, uh, a Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at idebailey.com. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Uh, go to our partner's website, Decisions in Dentistry uh, magazine, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Uh, make sure that you look at their great uh, content, their CE courses, their fantastic articles, their who's who Um of clinical dentistry uh, uh, authors. And uh, if you're looking for a dental CPA anywhere in the United States, we got you covered at the Academy of Dental CPAs, www.adcpa.org. 
Um, and again, Ide Bailey is uh, one of the member firms. I was one of the founders of the ADCPA. And, you know, 20 years ago, uh, we formed. Uh, very sadly, we had to cancel our ADCPA meeting in October in Miami because of the pandemic. We just, it just couldn't risk it. So we'll have to wait till May to see, uh, have to wait till May to see all my friends again. But uh, anyway, I uh, hope this was good information for you. Thank you so much for the honor and privilege of your time. Uh, the thousands of people that listen to us every single week that send me emails from all over the country. Um, we appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate the dental profession. Uh, you guys have really come through the pandemic in with flying colors. Uh, you've helped people. The dental office is the safest place, as far as I'm concerned, that anybody can go, um, uh, you know, during a pandemic. And you guys have gone through everything. So with that, uh, I am Art Wiederman, uh, again, Dental Division Director at Ide Bailey. My show is The Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Art of Dental Finance and Management Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management Podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.